Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 12. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, as we're recording this, we just realized that we uh, surpassed 100,000 downloads, and we've only been in this game for a little while. So thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. What? Uh, there are no, get out of here. Shut the front door. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well... You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. The news is racist, allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. 
Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. All of the footnotes in each episode, which articles and other media we use to source this story, the music notes, all of that stuff can be found on our website. That's right. You heard it from Beth. We are very unqualified. But if you still want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. And our patrons get our episodes like faster, like right away. like As soon as it comes off the press. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Hot off the press. We also have some merch for sale on our website. And uh, so I always joke like my mom has not bought a mug. And she like texted me the other day. She's like, I heard you talk about me on your podcast. Yeah, and no mug, <laughs> no mug yet, mom. Uh, so we have some merch for sale. You can go to our website at fruitlesspod.com forward slash merch. Mom, if you're listening, I still have not seen your purchase, but I love you very much. And if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. So, Beth. Who are we talking about today? Well, this is part two of our episode on Christopher Dorner, an ex-cop who went on a rampage of revenge against the LAPD. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, stop right here, go back and listen to part one, and we'll meet you right back here. That's right. We're not going anywhere. We're all over the internet. So yep. <clears throat> how you doing? I'm okay. So it's starting to cool down here in AZ. It's my favorite time of year i don't know about you Mm. but i love Mm. this time of year i'm looking forward to the cooler weather and the holidays i know some people hate the holidays and i'm sorry i love them (laughs) (laughs) we are mad at you beth that's okay that's wonderful no it it is a great time in arizona right now weather wise it is yeah granted uh we haven't gone outside much as as much as we'd like because uh the monsoon is sort of closing up its season and there's terrible lightning outside so yeah uh, it rained today there was a tornado in uh what was it new river oh i didn't know that yeah it looked like actually like a overblown dust devil oh shit but they called it a tornado (laughs) oh no (laughs) yeah so so it, it, it cools off i mean i will take i will take december in arizona any day over yeah over anything i mean it is it is glorious like gorgeous uh, yeah our thanksgivings and christmases here are fan-fucking-tastic so yes it is it is very 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 nice yeah this is what we've been waiting for because (laughs) the summers are hell but (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, they are. They're rough. They're rough. Yes. And um, we so we walk my son to school every day, and he started school in August, and it was wow. so so uh, hot. Yeah. Uh, and we walked to school today, and it was just really nice. It was like yeah. the weather was nice. It had just rained, and it was cool. And we had our umbrellas just in case the monsoon hit us, or you know whatever. And it was just really nice. It was beautiful yeah. weather, and Kind of, it's kind of nice now that we finally get to enjoy our outdoors. So yeah, um, me, I am black, blessed, and highly favored. And I had a three-day weekend. And, you know, I had a hot girl summer, I think, like many of us did. And uh, it's that's been brought to a close now that uh, school has begun and the weather is cooling off. So things are good. I'm good. No complaints. Good, good, good. Yeah. Other than the president believing that he believes oh, yeah. there's a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, we won't get into that. Anyway, so now uh, let me... <laughs> I almost forgot about the shitty political situation. I, I need to get off. I need to stop getting on Twitter. I need it to stop. And I can't yeah. help myself. Um, but anyway, in other news, we have some listener uh, letters. And let me, um, let's see if we can get some of the angels. Oh, they're here. Hello, angels. Hello. Oh. Oh, thank you. Okay. So uh, what, you. Did you, what did you what did you pull out of the mailbag? Beth? Well, we got a couple of emails. We got some recommendations for episodes. Oh. One from Connie, who suggested the, the Baton Rouge serial killer. Oh. And one from Zeke, mm-hmm. who recommended an episode on the Grim Sleeper. And I wanted to thank you guys so much for these suggestions and keep them coming. Yes. The Baton Rouge serial killer is on our list and we might even be planning on covering him in season three. Hello. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Baton Rouge because I'm a big old history and culture nerd. So I like going to different places and talking about the culture. So Oh, you don't get me started on Louisiana. I love it. There's so much <laughs> hist- there's so much black history and so much just- Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, the Grim Sleeper is also on our list, but we we put out an episode on him because he's one of the more well-known serial killers. Um, I could have sworn we've covered him already, Beth. Well, uh, we covered Chester Turner. I was going to say, uh, check out our episode on Chester Turner, who uh, we covered in season one, episode six, and mm-hmm. he was working in the same playground as the Grim Sleeper. So we didn't cover the Grim sleeper but we did cover chester turner who was there was like five serial killers working at the same place at the same time so that was a crazy time Mm -hmm. yeah so again keep the recommendations coming it's how we find some stories that we never heard about and it lets us know the stories you guys want to hear in fact if we get a lot of requests for a particular story we do move it a little closer to the top so keep them coming Mm -hmm. and also i stumbled across a review on stitcher it was posted months ago and we never saw it. So we apologize for the late mention. It's by Joey, pronounced Joey, <laughs> and says, <laughs> love you gals. I started on true crime podcasts with shows done by white women, still love them, <laughs> but heard on one show's episode devoted to little covered killers uh, that there are more. It blew my mind how racism had blinded me. So I went on a deep dive for podcasts that cover POC killers and victims. 
I adored you both right away. <laughs> and when I'm waiting on new episodes, I go back to listen to older ones. Oh, you can always get me through a monotonous day or when I feel the world is too people-y. <laughs> <laughs> my mind is blown that you didn't have reviews on stitcher so i'm honored to be your first and thank Ooh. you joey we are honored to hip hop yes air horn joey here you. comes the hip hop yeah. air horn <laughs> for joey for connie and zeke thank you so much yes thank you all so very very much um i wanted to share that we got a a lovely tweet from Brenda Lee, and um, this is so super unrelated, but I had a Garifuna um, nanny when I was a kid, and her name was Brenda Lee, and so I just love the name Brenda Lee. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> so my parents would like hire um, Belizean and Garifuna women who were like just in, in the States uh, for a little while and, uh, they uh-huh. would, they would take care of me and they would like oh. cook food for me and stuff and watch me and my brothers anyway. Um, so anyway, Brenda Lee, thank you, uh, for, uh, she said, thank you for calling out my boudet of sword and scale. He is not in any position, uh, to offer insightful commentary and it escapes him that he expresses the same attitudes towards women and people of color that the perpetrators of the crimes he covers do. You ladies are the best. You know what, Brenda? No, you are the best. (laughs) Brenda, you the best. And then we got a a message from Susie on Facebook, and she said, love the chemistry of this duo. Wonderful bits, such as Culture Corner and How Not to Get Murdered. Uh, So thank you so much. So uh, now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. Check out the murderific true crime podcast hosted by Bernadette from the state of Maine. Topics will include some seriously true scary stories about serial killers, mass murderers, familicides, the missing and unsolved cases. Go to www.murderific.com to start listening now or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until then, we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time. Okay, well, tell us who we are talking about today. Today's episode is part two about Christopher Jordan Dorner, a black man who killed four people and wounded three others during a spree in the Los Angeles area in 2013. The victims he targeted were police and civilians, including police families, because Dorner was a cop. Mm. So now we're going to dive back into the timeline. We started it in our first episode. So... Uh, hit it, Beth. (laughs) So we left (laughs) off after discussing Dorner's early life and the first murder of a young couple. Then police found Dorner's manifesto, which he posted to Facebook. Police were terrified. Mm -hmm. And you'll see how terrified they were soon. Mm -hmm. Dorner said he would use all of his training to avoid capture and track his targets. Police officers mentioned in the manifesto and their families were assigned security details to protect them. So later that day, an LAPD badge along with Dorner's photo ID were discovered by a shuttle driver near the city's airport. Around 10 p.m. at the San Diego Yacht Club, what is a black man doing at the Yacht Club? <laughs> An 81-year-old boat owner was on his 42-foot sound deck cruiser when Dorner robbed him, tied him up, 
and attempted to take his boat to sea. But Dorner accidentally wrapped a rope around the boat's propeller and stalled the engine. So he took some items from the boat and left. Once he had left, the boat owner was able to attract attention by yelling. Early in the morning of Thursday, February 7th, a little after 1 a.m., two LAPD officers, Cesar Chavez and Mario Vega, who were part of a security detail assigned to one of the families mentioned in the Dorner Manifesto, pulled into a gas station planning to pick up coffee and snacks before their shift. A man named Lee McDaniel ran to the patrol car and told them he was convinced Dorner had just left. And as they were talking, the gray Nissan pickup McDaniel had seen drove past again, pulling onto the freeway this time. And the officers took off after the vehicle. All right, here we go. While the officers were following him on the freeway, Dorner took an exit ramp, then quickly pulled over behind a bend. In pursuit, Chavez and Vega sped down the ramp and Dorner began shooting at them with an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. A bullet grazed one officer's forehead, but neither officer was seriously hurt. Dorner then jumped back in his truck and fled the scene. At 1.31 a.m., a, quote, be on the lookout, bolo alert advisory was sent to law enforcement agencies, warning that Dorner had been seen in the area and attacked two LAPD officers without warning. And boy, oh boy, Police don't like it when they get attacked. No, they don't. About 20 minutes later, two Riverside officers, Michael Kane and Andrew Tachius, were stopped at a red light when Dorner pulled up beside them and began shooting at them. Holy. Yep. Both Riverside officers were shot several times and transported to a hospital where Crane was pronounced dead. Tachias was in critical condition, but he eventually did recover, although he was not able to return to work until 2015. So Mm. uh, two years later. So the suspect fled the scene. And during a morning news conference, LAPD chief Charlie Beck characterized the rampage as a vendetta against all of Southern California law enforcement. And police were on edge as possible Dorner sightings were being called in. A woman called in to report that she had seen a gray truck with a similar license plate driving south from the airport on Sepulveda Boulevard, the main artery through downtown Torrance. This is so unrelated and so inappropriate. But do you remember the movie um, about the cheerleaders and they, they they lived in Torrance and they were the Toros? Yes, I love that movie. Yes. Uh, what is it? Uh, bring it on. Bring it on. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway. I love that movie. That's a good movie. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I do too. <laughs> and um, so I was the second black varsity cheerleader at my heart my high school because they were super racist in the end. But um, <laughs> uh. So we we did uh, a performance of the cheer that the black girls did. And since I was the only one, I had to do the, do your thing, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and like looking back, I was like, why did I let them con me into doing that? Anyway. Yeah, uh, that had to be so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was, but everybody was like, come on, do it, Wendy, do it, Wendy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, at a totally unrelated, sorry, but we'll get your true crime really sweat right now. At 5 a.m., Margie Carranza was 46, and her mother, Emma Hernandez, was 71, and they were delivering newspapers in Torrance. 
because an officer who lived in the area was named in Dorner's manifesto, police were posted on protective duty in the neighborhood where the women were delivering papers. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards modern fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That's modernfertility.com slash fruit. Carranza commented to her mother how strange it was that the officers were patrolling her delivery area so early. As the women slowly drove down the street delivering newspapers, officers opened fire on their blue Toyota Tacoma, (laughs) mistaking it for Dorner's gray Nissan Titan. Eight LAPD officers fired more than 100 bullets at Carranza and her mother. Mm. Carranza suffered cuts from the flying glass, and Hernandez was shot twice in the back while trying to protect her daughter. Mm. One bullet exited just above Hernandez's collarbone, while the other bullet struck her lower back near her spine. A fragment of shattered glass also flew into her eye. So obviously the police are shooketh, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah, they're very scared. (laughs) Very scared, but this was not even the right color vehicle. Uh, no, they didn't. They didn't nine. even really look. You know, they just started shooting. They just saw a truck and started shooting. It was, yeah, it, I, I, it was nuts. Yeah, I'm without words. The LAPD cops ordered them out of the vehicle and immediately realized their mistake. Uh, you think? Instead of a 33 year old black man, two Latinx women exited the pickup truck and demanded to know why did you fuckos shoot us. And I added the fuckos part. Instead of rendering first aid of even apologizing, the officers called for the paramedics while refusing to offer any, any explanation for the ambush. Yeah, they ambushed these women. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Just doing their jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Awakened by the gunfire, residents emerged from their homes to find their vehicles, houses, and front doors riddled with bullets. With five bullet holes in the entryway to his house, one neighbor asked, quote, How do you mistake two Hispanic women, one who is 71, for a large black male, unquote? And I know I should say Latinx, but that's what the guy said. <laughs> that is what the guy said. And that's 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 all right. It's all right. We're, we're learning all the time. And maybe now that it's 2019, maybe he wouldn't say Hispanic. But 
Um, I digress. Two blocks away and 25 minutes later, Corinth's police officer stopped David Perdue as he was driving to the beach. Oh boy, here's another one. To go surfing before work. After the officers questioned him and ordered Purdue to go back the other way, he complied with their commands and began driving away when another Torrance police officer cruiser raced towards his vehicle and broadsided him. What the f- broadsided him? Like literally tried to swipe just him ran, off the road? Just ran into him, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Suffering from a concussion and back pain, Purdue remained in his vehicle as an officer opened fire on him. What? Police fired what? at least three bullets into Purdue's truck before ordering him out and detaining him for an hour. And Purdue is a white man who is mm-hmm. driving a black Honda Ridgeline. So I don't understand. Um, you know, it, it's bad enough that they shot at him and everything, but then they detained him for an, an entire hour. Why? <laughs> what? Well, it's so unnecessary. So yeah. unnecessary. And yeah. I just like the um, aggression, the level of aggression. They're so scared yeah. that they're, they just become so, became so unreasonable. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, it was rattling because, you know, here was two police patrol cars who had been shot at for no reason. So I understand that, but they're police. They're supposed to be better than that you know well that's what i thought <laughs> and yeah. um i i think i think this was also jarring to white communities because communities of color are aware that police act in this fashion when they are afraid and so it was no it was no surprise to me that they were were this aggressive that they reacted that way yeah that they reacted that that way and i i um I'm going to talk about this more in the shout out portion of the show, but Hassan Minaj uh, has his show called Patriot Act. And um, he talked about police aggression on his most recent episode. And what he revealed was that police are trained to just react, just to Mm. react. And essentially out of fear, they're just, they're just there to react, not, not to assess not to de-escalate, just to react. So, hmm. anywho, it's great. Uh, so, at 8.30 a.m., authorities found Dorner's burned-out truck on Forestry Road near Big Bear in California. Law enforcement officials then began searching the ski resort area of Big Bear, which prompted the shutdown of Big Bear Mountain and Snow Summit uh, and some of the area schools. Deputies assisted the local, state, and federal police and forestry experts combed through neighborhoods in the mountain community and did door-to-door searches. However, the search teams were only looking for homes where there were signs of forced entry. If the doors were locked and there was no sign of forced entry, the search teams moved on. Residents were warned not to open their doors for anyone unless they knew them or they were uniformed law enforcement officer, which I thought was funny because Dorner could easily have been posing as a cop. For sure. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Additional deputies patrolled the area around the clock and extra officers were posted at the bottom of the mountain, checking vehicles coming down and going up. So San Diego County police agencies staked out hotels and other locations where they thought Dorner might go. And at 10.30 a.m., a man was mistaken for Dorner again at a Holiday Inn parking lot. 
police drew weapons on him and handcuffed him before the mistake was realized and he was released. This man is lucky to be alive, given how trigger happy the LAPD, uh, all Southern California police officers were at this time. Right. Sometime during that day, a suspect matching Dorner's description was seen attempting to go to Mexico. And it's not clear to me whether or not it really was him or just some guy who looked like him. I see a black guy! Arrest him! Yeah, yeah. There's a black guy going to Mexico! (laughs) Quick, quick, get him! Get him out of here! Get him! Dorner's Las Vegas home was searched There were Dorner sightings, like I said, in Mexico, Las Vegas, Arizona, and Utah. So Dorner was being spotted everywhere. It was like every black man everywhere. Every black man everywhere is Christopher Dorner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Christopher Dorner. On uh, Friday, February 8th, the police were still searching Big Bear. Teams on the ground and in the air searched the Big Bear area, but there had been no reported sightings of Dorner. Dorner's mother's house in Las Palmas was also searched, and his mother and sister were cooperative. Mm, I don't know if I would be so cooperative with with law enforcement. It's just me. On February 11th, Dorner was charged with murder and attempted murder. On February 12th, Jim and Karen Reynolds arrived to their rental condo around noon. Dorner was hiding upstairs when he confronted Reynolds with a drawn gun. Dorner had stumbled upon a condo that had been under renovation and was usually left unlocked. It's believed he simply opened the door and once inside locked it behind him. And he had been hiding there for five days. And this was in Big Bear. Mm. Unbelievably, the condo was across the street from a command post established by authorities as they searched Big Bear. So he was he was right there. (laughs) He was right there. They had their command center across the street and didn't notice. uh, (laughs) Just. What what were y'all doing? Like, <laughs> uh, anyway, according to Jim Reynolds, Dorner jumped out and hollered, "Stay calm!" Fifty-six-year-old Karen Reynolds screamed and ran down the staircase, but Dorner caught her. He said, "I don't have a problem with you, so I'm not going to hurt you." Jim Reynolds didn't believe him and thought Dorner was going to kill him. And um, we talked about sword and scale a little bit uh, in the beginning because. He loved to throw that N-word out, Mr. Boudet. But um, uh, he played um, interviews of uh, the the Reynolds. With um, Jim Reynolds? Clan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they just conveyed how the experience and how terrifying it was for them. And understandably so. so. Yeah. They were taken to a bedroom where they were ordered to lie on a bed and then the floor. Dorner bound their arms and legs with plastic ties, gagged them with towels, and covered their heads with pillowcases wrapped with extension cords. The couple who lived nearby had done work outside the condo, but had not actually entered the unit until the 12th. Dorner told them that he had been watching them by day from inside the cabin as they did work outside. Dorner told them that he thought they were very hard workers and good people. Dorner repeatedly told the couple that he just wanted to clear his name. And, uh, yeah, that is what he wanted. But boy, oh boy, did he go to such lengths. According to Reynolds, (laughs) Dorner was calm and methodical during the 15-minute ordeal and didn't talk about the people he had shot. 
According to Jim Reynolds, at one point, Dorner huddled down beside me and said, you're going to be quiet, right? Not make a fuss and let me get away? Dorner then took their maroon Nissan Rogue and fled. A short time later, Karen Reynolds was able to call 911. Dorner tied us up and he's in Big Bear, she told the dispatcher. Deputies responded to the stolen vehicle report at 12.22 p.m. About that time, a game warden noticed a driver matching Dorner's description driving on Highway 38 and began to follow. Dorner rolled down his window and opened fire on the truck carrying two wardens. Whoa! The pair whose vehicle was shot numerous times were not injured. And I I, I, I talked about this in the, in the first part of this episode is I remember like watching these events unfold and just being like first disappointed that it was a black guy. And then second, like, man, these these cops are pissed yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah. Around 12.45 p.m., Dorner crashed the Reynolds Nissan and then carjacked Rick Heltebrake. He was 61 years old. Dorner approached him with a rifle and demanded his pickup. Heltebrake said the man assured him, I don't want to hurt you, and ordered him to take his dog and get out of the truck. Other units then joined the pursuit. They began searching the roads for the white Dodge pickup Dorner had just carjacked. One unit noticed fresh tire tracks leading away from the road towards some cabins. Several units pulled their vehicles to a stop about 20 yards down the road from the cabins, allowing them to be hidden behind large bushes. Deputies Franklin, Hollins, King, Collins, Corporal Michael Siegfried, and Detective Jeremiah McKay climbed out and began putting on their protective vests. With Collins leading the way, the deputies followed the tire tracks away from the road. Just as Collins walked past Crane, the officers heard what sounded like a cap gun or a hammer striking metal. Collins was hit and went down, and Crane said he felt bullets pinging off the vehicles as he and the others dove for cover. The officers began returning fire, and about 500 rounds of ammunition were exchanged in the gunfight that followed. San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department Deputy Jeremiah McKay was killed and Deputy Alex Collins was wounded. Dorner had holed himself up inside of a cabin. In a later study conducted by the National Police Foundation, it was said that hundreds of officers streamed into the San Bernardino Mountains when the suspect was cornered. It was one guy against a gazillion police. Yeah. The San Bernardino Police Department was the only agency requested by the Sheriff's Department to assist, yet hundreds of units from numerous agencies started streaming up Highway 38 toward the shooting scene. And talk about this later, but the idea of a big black man with guns is so terrifying to law enforcement. Uh, the results were clogged roads and an overabundance of law enforcement that distracted incident commanders and created a potentially, potentially, no, it was a dangerous situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At about 4.15 p.m., Dorner was ordered to surrender. And when he did not, Authorities shot tear gas into the cabin, and I read that it was a type of tear gas called pyrotechnic tear gas, which has the nickname hot gas. Uh-oh. Yeah. So despite this, Dorner never came out of the cabin. 
several walls of the cabin were then knocked down with an armored vehicle, and then authorities heard a single gunshot from inside. Not long after, the cabin became engulfed in fire, and soon large amounts of ammunition could be heard exploding inside. Four girls in Birmingham were blowed up in a church. Nothing happened. Uh, yeah. Medgar Evers would, was blown up, <laughs> and nothing happened. There's so, there's so many examples of the opposite being the case. When it's um, white, Dylan Roof. Did I mention Dylan Roof? He killed nine people in a church, and they took him to Burger King afterwards. Yeah. And this is one Black man in a cabin. He killed a lot of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm just saying the level of aggression towards the crime that this man committed. It's unparalleled. Uh, when yeah. you consider the, um, the the white men who have committed really terrible crimes, I just don't understand. Oh, but America. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the police say they didn't set fire to the cabin on purpose. But I think there is audio that said, yeah, there's audio and I heard it. Let's burn the place down, they said. The, the police on the radio. Let's burn the place down. Let's burn the motherfucker down. And when Dorner realized he had no way out, he shot himself in the head. The department defended itself against criticism that it did not simply wait Dorner out instead of escalating things through gassing thousands of rounds of gunfire and the heavy machinery used to tear down cabin walls stating that Dorner had already killed four people and did not want to wait around for him to kill more. And on February 14th, 2013, happy Valentine's Day, the charred remains from the cabin were identified as Christopher Dorner. A single bullet was lodged in his skull. Because of this, and because there was very little smoke in his lungs, the coroner determined that death came from a self-inflicted gunshot wound from a handgun. And forensic evidence later proved that the same gun that Dorner used to take his own life was the one that was used to kill Keith Lawrence and Monica Kwan. Well, that was fun. Uh, so <laughs> now we're going to get into... Where are they now? I'll tell you. <laughs> so Dorner is D-E-A-D dead. The police made the death a spectacle to say the fucking least and totally went overboard. But when called out on it, justified it because of the number of police lives lost, intensity of the situation, civilian lives lost, and fear bestowed on the community by, and they didn't have to say this out loud, and they didn't, the big black menacing man. Woo. Yeah. About five months after she and her mother were shot out by police, Margie Carranza said that she was still scared to leave the house for fear of coming under gunfire. Quote, I feel scared to go out at night. I am scared that I will get shot at by police, said Carranza. Oh, and also every other black person in the United States. Yeah. There were several payouts the owner of the cabin that was destroyed in the shootout got $200,000. Carranza and Hernandez got $4.2 million. Uh, and oh, this is a welcome to Culture Corner. So um, I've heard it mentioned from other Black people, descendants of African-American slaves, that the way that we are gaining reparations 
Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruit Loops HQ. Oh yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. Is through these police department payouts mm-hmm. because they're either killing us and we are entitled to something for it. Um, and so I just, I saw that number. I saw um, that it was two women of color. And I, th- and I, I just wanted to mention that because that, that is out there in the zeitgeist. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, which on one hand you think good for them, but on the other hand, that's taxpayers money and would not have been necessary if the police had not been so trigger happy. Yeah. But I hope they're enjoying their $4.2 million. Same. I, I really do. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. Cause that, that had to be really terrifying. Unbelievable. Yeah. No criminal charges were filed against the eight LAPD officers responsible for nearly killing Carranza and Hernandez. (sighs) They were put on desk duty, and after a year-long review, the L.A. Police Commission and Chief Charlie Beck determined that the officers involved had violated the department's policy on deadly force. So they were assigned retraining. Shocking. (laughs) Ah, um, so I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there's essentially no recourse for police officers when they make a mistake. 
Um, their um, disciplinary records are not made public. The p- police departments make it really, really difficult for people to pursue claims against police departments um, and, and individual police officers. Again, the records are, are, are kept private. So if a police officer does something bad, nobody has to know about it. But they're public servants. Right. Like, what the fuck? Um, yeah. Although LAPD chief Charlie Beck announced during the manhunt that officials would re-examine Dorner's allegations of police misconduct. In the article that I read about this, three years had passed without any results. No surprise. Uh, Not sure if anything was done. Um, Sergeant Teresa Evans filed a lawsuit against the LAPD. Okay. Uh, Alleging racial discrimination against her, a white lady, which is pretty fucking audacious, <laughs> I think, given that she is, again, a white woman. What are you talking about? You guys voted for Trump. You you are enjoying all of the, all of the privileges. Shut up. Uh, Evans, alleged, alleged racial harassment. I just, I can't with this. Her alleged, <laughs> I can't believe this. I can't believe, like, she would even say this. Uh, her know. alleged, I just, like, I can't even stomach it. Her alleged racial harassment, <laughs> oh, God, creating a hostile work environment, <laughs> discrimination, and retaliation in her lawsuit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm all sweaty and stuff. Like, I'm so enraged. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> Evans' suit maintained that she was harassed by LAPD supervisors due to the racial tension sparked by Dorner, (laughs) as well as her own complaints that she was being discriminated against because of her race. She needs to sit the fuck down somewhere and shut up. This is crazy. She further claimed that she was denied overtime and transferred from a prestigious assignment to one with less stature, leaving her ability to earn a promotion completely destroyed. Girl, bye. (laughs) What made this even more unfair, according to Evans's complaint, was the LAPD knew of Dorner's past misconduct while with the department. Oh, my God. I've said this before, and I will say it again. There is no such thing as reverse racism. It's made up. It's not a thing. So, uh, according this, what is her name? Evans. Evans. Yeah. All right. So, uh, according to some things I have read here and there, Evans wasn't exactly a squeaky clean cop. You think? Uh, her nickname at the station was Chupacabra. <laughs> and a uh, quick culture corner. Chupar. The verb is uh, to chew or to suck. And a cabra is a goat in Spanish. And it is a legendary creature in Latin American folklore. Uh, it's a monstrous creature that is said to have killed livestock. And when the dead animals are found the next day, uh, they are completely drained of blood. So that's why they call it a, the, the chupacabra came. Um, <laughs> and I've seen, there's like documentaries about chupacabra sightings and stuff like that. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's just something to get like kids to go to sleep. Like, yeah, the chupacabra's gonna get you if you don't if you don't go to bed. (laughs) I don't know, but anyway, uh, she had a reputation for excessive use of force and had been flagged for it. 
she was involved with another officer, ooh, Mount Chicka Wow Wow, named Fuentes, and they fought all the time. Everyone in her department knew about her man troubles, and it was a running joke. Apparently, they would fight, break up, and then get back together all the time. At one point, officers were dispatched to her home after her coworkers called for assistance in a domestic violence matter. According to the police report on this incident, Evans refused to cooperate with the officers. Jasmine Kanick, who describes herself as a social critic and political commentator, said that as LAPD officers, neither Evans or Fuentes are allowed to mislead, give inaccurate information, deny giving information, or refuse to cooperate with any law enforcement agency. So she's saying they're they're not allowed to do that, but um, yeah. guess what? Police do it all the time. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. when they well, see us. Give Ava DuVernay her damn Emmy. Anyway, <laughs> she's pointing out the uh, hypocrisy. Oh, completely, completely. Um, <laughs> you all know that Wendy is not a super fan of the police. <laughs> woo, woo, that's the son of the police. Anyway, to quote Canick, based on the Long Beach Police Department's report, both Evans and Fuentes could have been found guilty of misleading the LBPD and LAPD internals of internal affairs at the very least. I agree. Victim or no victim, a lie is a lie, and they are both cops. They are held to a different standard. Well, yeah, we all know that. Remember the LAPD motto on their bumper stickers is, <laughs> this is laughable, no excuse for domestic violence. And I was wondering, have you ever heard the phrase firemen cheat and cops beat? I haven't, but you watched Unbelievable, right? I sure did. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the statistics for the policemen and mm -hmm. domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really high. Yeah. Like 40% or something like yeah. that. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's in so, line with our story. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So quoting Kanick again, she said, quote, Dorner was right when he ascertained that Evans' home life troubles might be a reason for her more aggressive behavior in the field. She lied about her troubles. The police knew all about it and did nothing. And while Evans may feel like the department is working against her, it could just be that they knew she lied and is the main reason why Dorner did what he did. This is, after all, the same department who helped to cover it all up in the first place. Mm -hmm. I am not trying to defend Dorner's actions or vindicate him. You can't be vindicated when you take the lives of innocent people. But the department's own reports and findings show that he was not lying about Sergeant Teresa Evans, even though they painted a completely different picture for the news media, unquote. And I would mm -hmm. say that rather than being discriminated against for being white, the cops are pissed at her. Yeah. Um, you know, she may have uh, not been able to get the jobs that she wanted. She may have been shunned, but it wasn't because she was white. It it was because she um, was a cunt. Yeah, <laughs> it was because of her behavior <laughs> and because because of what happened, you know, with Dorner and everything after that. So, yeah, and I don't know what happened with her suit. The last activity I could find it was from 2016. I don't know what happened with it. Um, it looked to me like she dropped it, but 
I, I just couldn't tell. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder what has become of her. Now, so I, I did shout out um, when they see us, the Ava DuVernay case about the exonerated five from the Central Park rape case in the, the 80s or 90s. I don't know. Anyway, um, that cop has lost everything because it's clear that she lied on these kids of color. Right. And right. Um, she was dishonest in her job. And so I yeah. wonder if Teresa Evans might, maybe she has been subject to the same type of valid uh, consequences. I think so. Yeah. I don't know. But if you, if, Teresa, are you listening? <laughs> She's probably not. <laughs> uh, but uh, if if you know Teresa Evans or what has become of her, we would love to know. You know how to find us. Uh, so in a phone interview, Christopher Dorner's mother, Nancy, said that there could be some validity to the claims her son made in his manifesto, but stressed that she did not condone his crimes. Instead of going on a murderous rampage, Nancy Dorner wishes her son had simply contacted a journalist about the allegations of the LAPD racism and corruption made in his manifesto. But everybody knows that the LAPD is corrupt. So I don't know if that would have helped. And I, I kind of think Christopher Dorner knew that. Everybody has reported on how corrupt the LAPD has been. Hello, Mark yeah. Furman. Hello, OJ Simpson. Hello. Like, we knew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, yeah, he shouldn't have killed all those people. <laughs> that's okay, fair. True. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> According to Renford Reese, a professor of political science at California State Polytechnic University, the folk hero status bestowed by some on Dorner reflects a lingering mistrust, the root causes of which the authorities have yet to address. For this reason, he insists, it's not enough simply to dismiss Dorner as crazy. Quote, of course he's a murderer. Of course he did wrong. Of course we grieve for the families. But mm -hmm. he's a product of our institutions, our education system, our military, our police. Somehow all these things converge to create a monster, unquote. I agree 100%. He's 100% yeah. that bitch. Um, so, <laughs> nah, nah, so <laughs> you shouldn't take me in public. Um, so now we're going to get into <laughs> what we think made, uh, Dorner snap and our takeaways. So I believe that we know what made him snap. It was racism and white supremacy. Now, before you get mad, easy white people down, down, down. White privilege does not mean that you are wealthy or you don't struggle or you don't have obstacles. It just means that the rules are different. So, again, juxtapose Dorner with Dylan Roof. Dorner was not going to be taken to any Burger King anytime soon after he killed all those people. But right. Dylan Roof was. And I kind of think this guy saw himself as like a Dexter, that his targets did bad things to people. And uh, I think he thinks that they deserved it. Also, I get that he killed people and, you know, he was dangerous and that wasn't nice. But how come there was no reports of the state of policing in the LAPD or the United States? That's what he was trying to shed a light on. And, and right. that argument is completely amiss uh, with this case. The police were also dumb ass messy hoes in this case. They shot at three of the wrong people? What the 
is wrong with you guys? The police fucked up royally and overreacted. I think you guys are shooketh. Blah, 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 blah. Do your jobs. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Take away all of the guns from the police and then get rid of the police and start over again with something better. Also, I listened to a few podcasts about this subject, all from the white gays. And I appreciate the insight and details, but they are trash. I mean that in the nicest way. They were clueless to the PTSD that oppression can cause. We are people of color every day. And I heard this the other day on The Breakfast Club. They did like a summit of um, LGBTQ people of color. And what um, I thought was really um, significant of the discussion is that Black people are always Black people first. And like, like a white gay man gets to still be a white man. Right. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to come out as gay. He still gets all the privileges associated with being a white man, even though he's gay and, and people of color don't get that. Um, and Beth, you know, you're a woman. You don't, you don't get the privilege of, I mean, you're a white woman, but you're yeah. still a woman. You know what I mean? Like, right. so you can't, you can't hide that. And um, Dorno's manifesto from what I, what I've heard and read I think was pretty woke in some parts. Like, and he, in my opinion, was just really, really frustrated with the lack of justice that he was experiencing and seeing. And I feel very terrible for all of the victims. Speak their names as we did in the uh, first episode. Maybe we should make it again, but uh, I, I can't go back. Anyway, I also want us to remember the victims of other injustices, you know, there, there's lots of injustices every day. So we shouldn't yeah, forget yeah. about all those too. And Chris was just trying to bring justice about, but um, he didn't go about it in the right way. And as a result of actions, he is uh, labeled as a domestic terrorist when his goal was really to just wake people up. And I right. wish he had gone about it in a different way. Cause he, I mean, Me too. He, he could have been, a really effective like social justice warrior and that is a derogatory term these days on twitter sjw's but anyway i don't know how to end this it's done <laughs> we're talking about it so yeah what do you what do yeah. you think well um i i can't help but think that affluence was a factor um nancy dorner was apparently pretty well off oh they lived in affluent neighborhoods which let's face it were probably majority white Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they're living in majority white neighborhoods and Dorner said that he was the only black kid in class at the schools he went to. So that -hmm. probably added to, you know, the racism that he experienced and, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe feel feelings of inferiority. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we tend to think of racists as poor redneck hillbilly types, but affluent whites can also be pretty damn racist. I mean, boy, oh boy, can they? <laughs> yeah, just look I at the so president. Many yeah, I. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was I was at a fancy ass dinner with some white people, and so I sing on the side, right? Right. And uh, they were like, "My daughter has this friend." She's black. You would really like her. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, but but people don't know that they're doing it. Hence Fruit Loops. 
Yeah, yeah. And I lived in a fairly affluent area in Connecticut when I was a teenager. And I think there were maybe three black kids in the whole school. Holy, whoa. Yeah. Wow. And that's where I was actually first introduced to racism Mm -hmm. uh, because my parents were not racist. And I had never (laughs) really heard anything racist that I can recall until Mm -hmm. I lived there. And then I heard the most racist stuff and I was shocked. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think affluent white people are afraid they'll lose their status if they allow people of color into their ranks, which is terrible. Right. So it makes me think that, you know, that just added into Christopher Dorner growing up the way he did. Yeah. Um, And there was another podcast uh, that I listened to, Badge of Dishonor. I think you listened to it, too. It's Mm -hmm. a bunch of newscasters and journalists and a psychiatrist talking about what happened. And we'll link to it in our show notes. Um, But the psychiatrist pointed out that Dorner's mother was seen in a Mexican restaurant drinking wine and watching what was going on in Big Bear on the TV in the restaurant Mm -hmm. when Dorner was cornered in the cabin. Mm -hmm. And I I had seen some news articles about that. And at first it made me mad that they were focusing on what his mom was doing, because I mean, we all deal with things in different ways. It's not Mm -hmm. what I'd have been doing, but you know, who am I to judge? But the psychiatrist mentioned that it may show the kind of relationship that they had, which was maybe not so good. Mm -hmm. And Dorner's father was completely out of the picture. And I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, any kind of ist. (laughs) But I can't help but think that if he had a poor relationship with his parents, that probably had something to do with it, too, not having a good sense of self. And Mm. it was mentioned many times that he felt like nothing if he wasn't a police officer. So Mm. he definitely had a poor sense of self. And I think that might have contributed to that. Yeah. Also, I agree with you that his manifesto actually made a lot of sense in parts. Um, But in other parts, it was completely unhinged. Mm. And, you know, it was 11,400 words long or something (laughs) like that. It went on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at it, you're like, this is just a crazy person talking. But then when you actually read it, there were like, there were some pretty good points in there. Oh, yeah. And like you said, uh, I think if he'd gone about it another way, he might have been able to affect change and actually been like an people. activist. Yeah. Yeah. But he decided to go a different way, unfortunately. And I was really the worst part of the whole story. Uh, for me, I was horrified by the fact that he was willing to kill completely innocent people like Keith Lawrence and Monica Kwan mm. just to hurt the people that he was angry with. That was just awful. Yeah. And the yeah. whole the whole thing is pretty sad. Mm-hmm. And the result is that people only remember that he was a murderer. They don't look at what he wanted people to see, um, the racism and the corruption in the LAPD, because he murdered people. And because he murdered people, they probably never will. So that's unfortunate. Wow, Beth, you get, <laughs> if I can get my hip hop air horn button to work, <laughs> you get all of them. There's probably a lot more to be said, but honestly, oh I'm tired God. of this story. It's so sad. It is really sad. It is really, yeah. I, I think in so many ways, it's, it's, uh, yeah. a devastating story and there's so many angles and and 
points and and um bobs and weaves in the story where things could have gone right like things could have right this i mean he could have i just i'm like just like pulling the my potential. hair out like he had, the potential yeah, he for him potential. to become an activist especially having his background as an lapd officer yeah he could have he could have really helped a lot of people and he just went yeah. about it in the worst way Anyway, uh, that's it for the shits. Now we are going to tell you how not to get murdered. <clears throat> if you love to crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. I was rubbing my nipples as I sang it that time. So what do you got, Beth? <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So this is a case of kind of generic tips and kind of related to the story because um, Dorner did invade the home of that old couple. And I thought about what would I do in the event of a home invasion? Well, I'm going to keep my motherfucking doors locked <laughs> for starters. <laughs> uh, but um, of all of the available home defense weapons, uh, I, I found this on, I think it's a uh, military.com. Uh, the, they um, gave up uh, like five just generic. On, on what to do in the event of a home invasion. So your your most powerful weapon is your brain. And no matter what type of home defense weapon you use, you have to be able to think tactically. Um, you need to develop, they, they suggested a code word for your family. So in the event that like shit goes down, you're like, and then everybody knows it's time to get the fire extinguishers and run out the house or something like that uh, and spring into action um and then uh designate a safe room so in the event that not everybody can get out of the home um that you can go and hide and and save some save by yourself some time um this room they say should be stocked with several specific items which Seems real extra, but like, I'm a I'm a true crimer, so I'm like, I'm going to the dollar store tomorrow, getting a whole case of water. Uh, <laughs> but it should be stocked with like several specific items that will help you survive the upcoming fight. And um, the one thing that you must have in this room is a phone. So have a phone on you at all times. We have a landline because of my job they pay for it uh but i do plug it i i unplug it so people will stop calling me but i also plug it in uh at night <laughs> and and keep it by my bed in the event like just, in, I, case. I, just yeah. in case yeah um and so have a phone so that you can call the police and then do not under any circumstances if you're in the safe room don't leave it until the police come or the threat is completely gone. And they also had tips on this website for people who have guns, but they pointed out that people who have like a handgun in their house because they want to be quote unquote safe 
don't know how to use it in a tactical, like life or death situation. And the gun yeah. can be turned on you. So uh, yeah. there's that. I remember taking a self-defense class once and mm-hmm. uh, the guy saying, if you if you don't feel comfortable with a gun, if you don't feel completely comfortable with it, then you should not have it because they'll get it from you and they'll use it on you. So Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. no guns, no guns in the Wendy Williams household, but enjoy those tips. So now we're going to get into some serial killer or true crime news. And Beth, it looks like you have a juicy one. Yeah, so in Granville County, North Carolina, Sheriff Brendel Wilkins encouraged another man to kill his own deputy. Excuse me? (laughs) When the sheriff learned that Deputy Joshua Freeman claimed to have a recording of the sheriff using racially offensive language (gasps) and that the deputy planned to publicly reveal the tape and turn it over to authorities in Raleigh. What? (laughs) Yeah, being racist is okay these days why would he have to kill somebody (laughs) according to the indictment on a phone call the sheriff advised an unnamed man whom wilkins knew that the only way you're gonna stop him is kill him and if you need to take care of something just take care of something the man gave wilkins a specific time and location detailing when he planned to kill Joshua Freeman, plus described the firearm he planned to use in the shooting. Oh, no. Wilkins then counseled the individual how to commit the murder in a manner as to avoid identification. He had two pieces of advice for the would-be gunman. First, don't let police find the murder weapon. You ain't got the weapon. You ain't got nothing to go on, Wilkins allegedly said. Oh. (laughs) And second... Don't talk. <laughs> the only way we find out these murder things is people talk, Wilkins All allegedly right, said. You can't tell nothing. Not a I'm thing. I'm looking around like, is anybody else <laughs> listening to this? This is crazy. <laughs> Wilkins assured the man that if he followed through on the killing, Wilkins would not reveal anything to authorities about having any prior knowledge of the plot. The plot was not carried out. Oh, my. Wilkins is charged with two felony counts of obstruction of justice charges for his failure to arrest the unnamed person or report the threat on Freeman's life Mm. and for also allegedly giving the man advice on how to get away with the killing. (laughs) (laughs) Wilkins has been sheriff of the small county in northern North Carolina, where the biggest town is home to about 8,400 people. Mm. since 2009 and was most recently re-elected in 2018. Excuse me? Wake County District Attorney Lauren Freeman, who brought the charges, uh, I'm assuming Lauren Freeman is no relation to Joshua Freeman, but in any case, he's the Wake County District Attorney and he brought the charges and he told News and Observer that Wilkins is still the sheriff. (sighs) Technically, the prosecutor said he can continue to serve if he chooses until convicted. What? Yeah. No. Wilkins' <laughs> indictment in Granville County comes after a 10-month investigation by the FBI and North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. Although authorities were aware of the phone call since 2014, oh, according Lord. to a statement from Lauren Freeman. 
Wilkins's office is also under investigation for its accounting practices and its drug interdiction unit. Oh, Lord. It's unclear what Wilkins might have said on the alleged tape, the racist tape, or what became of that recording. But you can bet that it was pretty awful or he'd not have been willing to kill someone over it. This is, that's insane. Where did you find that story? I don't know. It just popped up on my my. newsfeed one day. (laughs) Wow. That's wild. Thank you, Beth. That was a crazy story. What is wrong with people? Oh, now we're going we're gonna to get into the shout out portion of our show. We shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any, you know, true crime goodies. So I wanted to shout out, hello, Privilege. It's me, Chelsea. Uh, and it's on Netflix. Oh, man, Netflix is really, 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 really awesome these days. Uh, every person in the world needs to watch this show. It's about Chelsea Handler confronting her white privilege as a white woman. And... Um, I wanted to note that she, her, the director is a black woman. Um, and so there's less blind spots on Chelsea's part. Um, mm. The director is a, a woman named Alex Stapleton. And um, her name is like Alexandria Stapleton or something like that. But she was like, she, she just shortened it to Alex Stapleton. So that when she got into rooms, it would help her get into rooms. Because people were like, oh, right. this white guy, Alex Stapleton, oh, he went to Harvard. Yeah. yeah, oh, hey, what's up? And then they're like, what? You're Alex Stapleton? Anyway. <laughs> uh, and it, it came out It came out last week, and um, uh, it's, really, it's really good. Also, about policing, since Turner uh, was a police officer, um, I've shouted out Patriot, Patriot Act on Netflix before, hosted by Hasan Minhaj. But the latest episode is about the problem of policing and how police are essentially their training is like they have they spend hundreds of hours training how to overreact um to situations and uh it is not turning out so good and then lastly yeah uh, i meant to shout out this last week unbelievable on netflix everybody go watch it it's about a, the sexual yeah, assault really of good. a young of a young girl who's in the system she's a foster kid and nobody believes her and um yeah. it's great so yeah and i i wanted to say that uh, there's a couple of things that i really like about that show one is the story you know mm-hmm. it's a really good story the writing is good mm-hmm. um it's a lot of women mm-hmm. um the detectives oh, yes. are women oh yes Tony Collette, I really like her. Yeah. And um, the other lady, I don't remember her name, but she's really good too. And all the women in the the show are are just normal looking women. Yeah. And they're not like beautiful, super models. glamorous. And yeah. I, yeah. I really appreciated that. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good. It was a good one. It was, and and it made it yeah. more like relatable and believable. Real. Um, yeah, yeah, made, made, made it more real. real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what do you got? I wanted to shout out a podcast called "The Hate Crime Files." Ooh. by Terrence Heath. It's mm. about uh, well, well, hate crimes. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, the <laughs> stories are very well told, although disturbing, of course. You and, have uh, me at disturbing. <laughs> I uh I teared up a little bit. Uh on, what you yeah. balls yeah. of steel? Yeah. So. <laughs> what? 
So uh, give it a listen, guys. It's a good one. Oh, I can't wait. Crime file. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, Subscribing now. So where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign fruit loops pod or you can become a monthly patron through our podbean patron page this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help we also have merch on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch mm-hmm. i was just don't mind me i was just subscribing to the hate crime files <laughs> so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive guys it's crazy out there question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.